Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. Thank you so much for listening last week and for tuning in again. Thanks especially to those of you who sent in your feedback. You'll be glad to know that the podcast is now available on iTunes and via the RSS feed for any Android podcasting apps that you might have. If you're still not sure how to access that, please do get in touch and I'll be glad to help you. That's ros at churchsociety.org. Please feel free to email in and I'll see what I can do. This week, we're thinking about theological education and I'll be chatting with a couple of people at very different stages and with different experiences of theological education. At the recent Jake conference, this was something that came up several times, not just thinking about current theological education provision, but also thinking about the future and what that might look like and what we might need to do about that now. First up is Benedict Atkins. Benedict uh, was ordained a year or so ago Um, I should apologise, this was the first interview that I've recorded via Skype and I don't think I had everything plugged in in exactly the right way. Um, I hope that the sound quality is good enough that you'll be able to hear uh, and still appreciate the interview. It does get slightly better after the beginning, so do persevere a little bit. I started off by asking Benedict uh, what he does now and how he got there. I'm currently leading a church planting team here in East London. There were 12 of us that moved in about a year ago now to take on a parish that was um, being written off really and see what could happen. Um, I got here through largely becoming a Christian, at which point uh, I felt God say to me that he wanted me to get involved with his church and helping his church reach people that churches typically don't tend to reach for whatever reason. And uh, I left school with some terrible results and ended up working with uh, children in gangs in South East London. And it was while I was there that I felt like it was time to look into intentionally starting new communities in the church, um, particularly amongst those people that, that are working with actually. But I realised that I really could do it. studies actually. I found that I was often in situations where I was preaching and teaching actually didn't know the scriptures as well as I wanted I thought, goodness, I'd better, I'd better get some training. So I went to look around at a few colleges. I was young, I was 18 at the time, so um, I went to find out what they wanted me to do first, you know, go and get a degree in teaching or whatever. But actually, um, a few of them said, yeah, come on in. And I, I picked one that I liked and went there. And while I was there, God asked me to join him with his work in the Church of England, um, which I eventually said yes to college where I did uh, my formal ordination training. And then, no, I'm here. Great. So, yeah, the Church of England have this thing, don't they, that even if you've been to one of their theological colleges, if you weren't there as an ordinary, you still have to go again um, when they when you get accepted for training. Um, yeah, so hence going twice. Um, so... In the Lamont, which is helpful. So, um, they said I only had to finish the degree that I'd begun at the previous place. Um, so that was just one year. But there was, a, there was a really good learning opportunity at the new college, so I, I said I'd rather stick around for a few more years. Okay, great. Um, so, obviously, you were very young when you first went to St John as an independent student. Um, you've said a little bit, but, but maybe you could just say a bit more about what you were hoping for from that experience and what it ended up being like in practice. Sure. I, I was hoping for an environment that would catalyse my discipleship and leadership. Um, and get some really high quality input on biblical studies. 
and I, I didn't become a Christian in, in an Anglican environment. And my first experiences of what it was to be a Christian and be church were not very Anglican, you might say. So I, I was I was looking from everything from Anglican theological colleges to YWAM discipleship, you know, um, Jackie Pullinger out in Hong Kong, and then um, going to theological college in England was the cheapest. So that was what I did. But in reality, I would say, you know, it really did catalyze my discipleship leadership, but um, only partly through the content of the course, and largely just through sticking close to Jesus through all the experiences of college. As with anything, you know, without that, all the learning is pointless. But actually, some of the content, I would say, wasn't, wasn't as good or helpful as it could be, um, and some of the environment in that place at that time wasn't very healthy for a number of students. So, um, as with all these things, you stick close to Jesus and you learn a lot, don't you? Yeah, and I think a lot of people would say, even if the um, teaching and learning has been more positive, nonetheless, still the experience and the environment and all of those things still may be the most significant uh, part of being at theological college. Um, and so there's something there about um, residential and non-residential training, I think, isn't there, and the different experiences you get. And you've had experience of both in different colleges. Maybe you could say something about what would be, the for you, the best and the worst things of those different kinds of training. That's a good question. The, the points are around size, I think, and learning experience. So... Most residential colleges are small, and, and that's a huge bonus for making community, really living life amongst, you know, a handful of people for two or three years. And as you say, that's, that's discipleship. That's all we're after is to learn from life for life. And yes, information is part of that, but, but character and experience and relationships is, is what makes it real. And I think when you're in a residential college, that's a huge bonus. Um, however, the bigger thing about you know a non-residential college, uh, as Symbolisis was was huge, was that actually there were loads more people to learn from. Right. I learned to develop friendships that were sustainable in ministry, rather than making friends when you're living out of each other's back pockets over three years in a cloister. We're actually learning how to develop good quality, sustainable friendships. That actually, once I got ordained, my life has looked pretty similar to how it was when I was an ordinary. So I've, I've been able to carry those on. So I, I think that's, that's a bonus when it comes to size. And then when it comes to learning experience, you know, I have such fond memories at residential colleges sitting in the, in the lounge of a tutor, reading Greek together over a cup of coffee. And that sounds like luxury. I know people hearing this are thinking about going to a theological college. That's, that's their dream. Uh, and that's great, but it's, it's, it can't be done for everybody. And I think I would ask the question... Is it fitting for what we're being trained for? I'm not questioning the importance of the biblical languages, but actually when the alternative is to learn in a way which is immersed in what you're going to be doing, is immersed in the environment where you need to be witnessing the whole time, where you are constantly being challenged on your faith by people to whom you must give an answer because it matters to them. They don't know Jesus. I think that, that non-residential setting is a much more fiery crucible for the work of, of leadership. 
That's a really great way of putting it. Thanks. That's a really helpful insight because um, obviously most people will have only experienced one or other of those. And so it's really helpful to get your thoughts on both. Um, something else I know that happened uh, while you were, uh, I think, at the second college was that you were diagnosed with dyslexia. Um, could you just talk a little bit about, because I just, I mean, I've lost count of the number of guys I know who have been diagnosed with dyslexia while they were at theological college. And it, it um, you know, it obviously is something that must have affected your studies. But I wonder if you could say something about how it affected your studies and, and whether the diagnosis was then helpful in moving on. So it was one year into my time at my second college, which was a non-residential college, that I was diagnosed. And... It was a relief because it helped me understand part of why I, why I struggled at residential, where so much of the learning is academic through essays, and your assessments are on how you're doing in that. And yes, you have formation tutors, and they're checking your character, and blah, 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 blah. But actually, for someone like me who is um, gifted and called to be working on the edge amongst people starting new churches, actually, there was no way for them to even pick up on that, none of those experiences were being made. So getting to St. Melitis and being diagnosed with dyslexia was a relief to find out partly why I'd struggled uh, at St. John's in Nottingham. But it, it didn't play out too much simply because of the way that you learn at that non-residential college. Because you're being, you're being assessed by and learning from so many people and the, yes, you're not going to get through to the next year if you don't pass your exams. Um, but your way of learning is far more fitting for the way that the Church of England actually wants you to be assessed. You know, the nine criteria, if you're going for ordination, is much more than just sound mind and teachability. Yeah, and, you know, the reality is ministers are not writing essays. You know, in in practice, that's not what you have to do. And it's it's not that you don't learn anything necessarily through that process, but it's a skill that isn't directly relevant to the job that you are being trained for. Yes, absolutely. You know, being diagnosed with dyslexia or dyspraxia as well, super love. You get um, you get extra time. You get allowances for your grammar and punctuation. But but again, at the non-residential college, you're being assessed in practice in situ on how you relate to people that you live amongst. I was I was thriving in an environment where I could be helped to guide my life as well as my doctor. Great. That's really helpful. Thank you so much. Just maybe uh, quite quickly as we come to an end, two things that I want to ask you. Obviously, there have been some things that um, have been difficult through that process here. We talked previously um, and more things than we've had chance to talk about today. Would you say that overall uh, it's been worth it? As you look at the work that you're doing now, Has have your experiences at college um, uh, helped you with that? Yeah, of course they have. Of course they have. You know, we, we're called to learn from Jesus and we can do that anywhere. For me, I was obedient to where he wanted me to go through those colleges and that kind of thing. I think for anyone thinking about going and getting theological education, I think I would encourage them not, not to be attracted to the idea of theological education, but to find a specific place and environment and community where they can do that, because they're all so different. And to think about actually what is it that I want to learn and need to learn, and who are the people that I can teach that from, um, because there are there are places and environments that, that demand less time and money. Uh, but then if you do go to theological college and you know that that's exactly what you need, then that's 
Great. I really like that line about don't being don't be attracted to the idea of theological education for its own sake. I think that is something that's a temptation for lots of us. But actually, the reality is it's about being trained for the ministry that you are going to do. And and that's a much broader thing than getting a good academic education, although that might be part of it. That's so helpful, Benedict. Thank you for chatting to us. And I'm sure um, there'll be lots of people with similar uh, experiences, but also for those thinking about college maybe in the future, I'm sure that will have given them a lot of really helpful things to think about. A good reminder there, as Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but wisdom builds up. And surely the goal of theological education is to produce wise ministers, not just knowledgeable ones. In all the uh, fun and excitement of things that we're learning, at least for those of us who love learning, we mustn't lose sight of that goal uh, to present people perfect in Christ. Of course, that involves teaching the truth and rebuking error. And that means we do need to take our learning seriously but the learning isn't the object in itself. One way that we need to think as evangelicals about guarding the good deposit for future generations is for some of us to become theological educators. And that's what I was talking about with John Percival when I caught up with him at Jake. So I'm here still at Jake and uh, I've collared John Percival to come and chat with me for a few minutes. Um, John, just tell us why you're here at Jake. What what do you do in life and, and what stage you're at? Yep, so um, I'm based in Cambridge and um, I'm one year into a PhD looking at the New Testament, Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. And I've been invited here to give a seminar this afternoon thinking about making the most of college and curacy. So have you been a curate? Are you yes. a curate? So I have been a curate. Um, just over a year ago, we were living in Eastbourne, where I did four years at All Souls Church. And uh, that was after um, four years at uh, college. So I did three years at Wycliffe Hall. And uh, I guess because I'm a bit of a slow learner, they uh, gave me an extra year where I got to do a <laughs> master's at Oak Hill. So, so best of both worlds. Making the most of college, be a slow learner, stay there for as long as you can. Making the most of your curacy, also four years, stay there as long as you can. Absolutely, yes, yeah. <laughs> Don't get pushed on too quickly. So, John, can you tell us why that's not a very common move, is it, after a curacy to go back into the world of study and, and books and, and reading and so on? Can you tell us why you felt that was a, a good thing for you to do at that stage? Sure, yeah, I think a number of things came together to um, make it uh, an option that uh, the Lord has led us into. Um, I've enjoyed the academic side of Great. studying, uh, of um, getting deeply into God's word in the original languages, mm-hmm. engaging with what others are saying about it and thinking through the implications of it. So partly just you thought you'd culture. enjoy it. Yeah, so there was enjoyment. There was encouragement from others, um, I guess, uh, as many people will find when considering um, vocation. Other people said that they appreciated um me thinking and writing and speaking and taking time to um, think deeply so other people were encouraging me uh, the opportunity was there so um, I was offered a place on a PhD program um, the funding worked out and not everyone can bring that set of circumstances sure. together sure. and so the opportunity was there as well and I wonder um, so you know lots of those kind of personal reasons for doing it which was obviously very important um, do you, 
do you have a sense after you finish this what you think the Lord might be calling you to do long term in ministry and why the PhD might be relevant for that? Yeah, well, a PhD is quite a luxury in some ways of taking yeah. three or so years, whether part-time or, or seven full-time. if you're really slow like me. I look forward to hearing more <laughs> about that in a moment. Um, but uh, yeah, taking some time out to um, look deeply at one particular issue. Yeah. Um, it's a real luxury, um, but it really forces um, me to get to know that area well. So I'm looking into Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. So it means that I get to think lots about um, what was ministry like in the first yeah. century? What did it mean to be a gospel minister? Um, and how did Paul go about making his arguments and his theology? How did that work? That's my particular focus. But it's also developing my ability to think and reason and make arguments and engage with other people's arguments people who are coming from very different places. So mm. it's developing my skills in ministry. I hope that my topic um, will serve um, people wanting to grapple with the pastoral sure. epistles, probably more as an academic level than a popular level, but who knows what might But those people might then write commentaries that are more popular or more relevant and then, you know, hopefully influence them, people who will be preaching on that. There's a trickle-down you know, effect, yeah. One hopes so, at least. Yeah, 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 in theory. <laughs> and uh, it's also a necessary part of... Um, preparing to train other people for gospel ministry right. that the phd is a bit like a driver's license yeah. um, that qualifies you in some sense to um, be able to teach at a degree level yeah and is um, that something you think you might uh do in the future teach in university or theological college or something like that yeah that's precisely the reason why i'm pushing forwards with this is yeah. that i love um training people i love people yeah. seeing uh the beauty of God's word and God's character mm. and his plan uh, to save people in Christ. And so I'd love to train and encourage people on towards faithful gospel ministry. Great. I'll tell you, when I first started thinking about the possibility of doing a PhD, I went to Oak Hill thinking I, I would probably just be there for two years and do a diploma and then, you know, get a job working for church or something like that. And I remember hearing one of my lecturers at a college prayer meeting who was doing his PhD at the time. And he stood up and he said, you know, please pray for me because I'm learning a language I don't want to learn, which was German, to read books I don't want to read, which were in German, to write a PhD I don't want to write. And it, it was just the kind of, you know, epitome of misery. But then he talked about why he had chosen to do it. And he said soon after he was ordained, he was at a meeting of, I don't know, 200 sort of curates in a similar situation to him. And somebody had asked the question at the front, how many of you are thinking about doing potential further study? And no hands went up. And that person then said, well, who is going to teach the next generation of ministers? Who is going to write the books that will refute, you know, the, the next generation of liberal scholarship? And actually, I, it was a, a thing I'd never thought about before. And I think as evangelicals, there's often so much focus on local parish ministry as being the forefront of, of what we do, which is true. But actually thinking about those things for the next generations, who is going to train them up? Who is going to write the books they'll read? Who is going to be um, providing that sort of theological framework for their ministry that actually, you know, some of us need to be training ourselves further to do that? Yeah, absolutely. And here in the UK, we've been very dependent on American scholars and Australian yeah. scholars. And I sense that in recent years, there have been uh, more... Brits who are thinking seriously mm. about further theological education in order yeah. to um, hopefully be those resource writers of the future. Yeah, um, I hope so. I think we, you know, we are in a very different situation. 
from America. I spent a couple of years out there. And I was slightly shocked to see that that churches would advertise for pastors saying PhD required or PhD preferred. And we're definitely not in that situation here in the UK, and I'm not sure we necessarily want to be. But, yeah, for some people, um, it must be the right thing to to do that sort of further study for the benefit of the church. What are the challenges of being a PhD student, do you find? Well, it's a very different set of skills to the ones I was using in Curacy. Um, So I, I miss the variety and the people and uh, I guess in, a, in an academic environment, you're always comparing yourself to others. And I'm based at a place called Tyndale House, which is in Cambridge. It's a biblical research centre. And so there's lots of people there um, working on particularly biblical studies. Yeah. And it's a great place to be because lots of us are facing the same spiritual challenges together. And there's lots of help around um, academic study can be quite lonely at times so somewhere like Tyndale is a, a great place to be able to share some of the burdens and Absolutely. some of the ideas together. I um, So my PhD ended up being um, from the University of the Highlands and Islands but I actually was able to spend nearly three years at Tyndale House as well uh, while I was working on that and I, I don't think I would have ever finished if that hadn't been the case. Having that community around was so important for me. Um, John, finally, just what piece of advice might you give if somebody thinks maybe this might be the direction for them to consider? Um, so, you know, maybe someone at a slightly early stage still at, still in training um, or, you know, in the sort of curiosity stage of life. How would somebody go about um, exploring whether, whether this might be what God's calling them to and go about sort of uh, setting out on that sort of track? Things that were helpful for me included talking to staff when I was at Theological College. So some of them were really encouraging and just very helpful in giving me things to think through and ideas to pursue. I then continued the conversation with my IME 4 to 7 um, diocesan person, the lady who was overseeing the training of curates. Yep. And she gave me some dispensation from some of the formal requirements of the curacy so that I would have a bit of space Great. to um, actually explore further study. What uh, was really helpful in actually shaping up my PhD application was spending a week at Tyndale House. Right. Lots of people just pop in and out there and just being able to chat with some of the staff and existing yeah. students and um, begin some conversations with potential supervisors was really helpful. Um, but just keeping on um, making space to think, to uh, keep on reading God's Word and reading good books. Um, yeah. Those are great ways to keep the, the brain growing and being stretched. <laughs> and actually that's something that all of us in ministry should be doing, whether or not we're looking to um, higher level study. One of the things I was very struck by listening back to those two different interviews was not just the different experiences that John and Benedict had at college, but the very different outcomes from that. So Benedict going off to plant churches in an inner city area, working with kids from gangs and uh, the kind of communities that churches often find it very difficult to reach. And John moving on to a curacy, but then Uh, to a PhD at Cambridge. It couldn't be more different. And yet somehow we're expecting that initial theological education, um, those colleges that are providing that, to prepare people for this vast range of different future ministries. And of course, they're not going to be able to do that perfectly for everyone. 
I hope that's given you some things to think about, particularly if you're someone at the stage of thinking about theological education in the future, or if you're at college at the moment and wondering what uh, whether the Lord might be calling you uh, to be a theological educator in the future. We'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on that. Feel free to comment on the Facebook page. You can tweet us at Church Society. And of course, you can always email me uh, with questions, suggestions and ideas for future episodes, ros at churchsociety.org. This week, we're at the Renew Conference with our friends from Reform and AMIE. And I'm hoping to record a couple of episodes there. So do tune in next week. Thanks for listening.